Once You Know, You Know, a podcast for busy women to level up their health and fitness so that they can get off the diet merry-go-round for good. This is real lessons from real women and industry professionals on how you can improve your health and fitness habits and discover just how incredible your body is and is designed to feel. I'm Lindsay Parkinson and I'll be your host. Let's get stuck into the episode. Welcome back to Once You Know, You Know, and in today's episode, I'm going to be telling you all you need to know about why you need to stop making weight loss or fat loss your sole focus for getting healthy, because it doesn't lead to long-term results usually in the end. I'm also going to be giving you possibly one of the most underrated exercises for your health, not only physically, but also mentally. So stick around for that one, my friend, because you're about to learn a whole lot of stuff that can be really helpful in making sure that you get those long-term results that you want. Now, when people solely focus on on weight loss without considering other factors. The reason that it might not end up being sustainable is because often the need to change is actually driven by maybe feeling uncomfortable in themselves, maybe not feeling like their clothes fit, maybe seeing a photo that they didn't like. So their main driver or motivation is so that maybe they can fit into something else. Maybe they want to look a certain way by a certain date. And sometimes that means that they are willing to change their behaviors but only for a certain period of time. And if they're solely focusing on weight loss, now, as we know, weight loss and fat loss are two different things. If they're solely focusing on weight loss, there's a couple of things that might actually happen, which could be a detriment to long-term progress. So weight loss doesn't necessarily distinguish between fat loss and muscle loss. A person might experience weight loss on the scale, but if a significant portion of that comes from muscle loss, because remember that number on the scale, I spoke about this in another podcast, is made up of multiple different things, okay? You've got water, you've got muscles, you've got organs, you've got your skeleton, all that kind of stuff. Now, when we are only solely weighing ourselves, you don't know whether you are losing body fat or whether potentially you are losing muscle. So if the weight loss comes from muscle, you may not get the desired changes in your body composition because quite often what a lot of people will say when they're trying to maybe change their body composition is, I want to lose X amount of kilos and I want to tone up. Now, whether or not you can see definition in your muscle, and I've also spoken about this in another podcast, will be largely determined by whether or not you're doing some strength and resistance training, but also whether or not you have a lean body composition where you can see the muscle underneath it. We all have muscles, my friends. If we didn't, we wouldn't be able to like move our arms and legs. They wouldn't operate in the fashion that most of us probably do. So maintaining or increasing muscle mass is important, one, for your overall health, but increasing that muscle mass or at least maintaining it and then changing your body composition is what is going to lead to that toned, I put that in quotation marks, appearance that a lot of people are looking at. Now, if their sole focus is on weight loss, they potentially might not be understanding what they need to do to make sure that they either are maintaining or growing their muscle mass or also understanding what foods they need to eat in order for that to happen. So another thing that can happen with, say, weight loss strategies is that it can lead to a decrease in metabolic rate. Now, when the body loses weight too quickly, it might adapt by slowing down your metabolism to conserve energy. This is common for people that stay in a strong calorie deficit for a long period of time. I was actually just talking to a client about this because she was like, when do I know that I've hit maintenance? Because my clients will, if their aim is to change their body fat composition, they will be in a calorie deficit. They don't necessarily know what that is because I use a different method for them so that they don't have to count calories, but they learn to understand what serving sizes they need for their energy requirements. So, and I explained to her, you'll, when you 
hit maintenance will be either when you're really happy with your body composition and will probably increase your calorie intake or potentially after about a 12-week cycle. I like most of my clients to take what I call a deload week or deload two weeks where we change up their training a little bit and I like them to eat a little bit intuitively. It can sometimes be referred to a little bit as a diet break so that they're not in their deficit for too long because your body is so clever. And what it does is that when it understands that you are in a really strong calorie deficit, it's going to do its best to conserve energy for vital functions. So it doesn't want to stay in a deficit forever. Now that will often mean that you might like fidget less or move less so that it can conserve energy for other things. You'll just get really, really tired in the afternoon. So what you want to make sure that you're doing is that you're either not in too strong of a deficit, but you're also understanding that if you are increasing in muscle mass, and like I said in another episode, that can be a really like specific formula to hit where you just want to be in just enough of a deficit so that you can change your body fat composition, but you also want to be eating enough protein to maintain or at least build some more muscle mass. So getting that into a fine like art is quite tricky, but definitely can be done. Then you might go through a period where you're like, you know what, I want to build a little bit more muscle. Now that might require that you come out of your deficit into maybe maintenance or a surplus. And then you might go back into a deficit, making sure that you maintain your adequate protein intake where you're trying to decrease body fat percentage, but maintain the muscle mass that you've created. So there's some really important factors to take in. Now, if you say solely focus on reducing just your calories for weight loss without understanding the nutritional quality of a diet, it can lead to firstly nutrient nutrient deficiencies, which is not a good thing. So a well-balanced and nutrient-dense diet is essential for overall health, energy levels, and supporting the body's various functions. So when we say remove one whole macronutrient, whether that be it's never usually protein, to be honest. It's usually carbohydrates or fats. There are certain elements of both of those macronutrients that your body needs in order to function completely. So you do want to make sure that you have a good understanding of one, how you feel like your body functions best, not just, oh, hey, I really want to lose weight. So I'm just going to cut out all carbohydrates. And I've spoken about this before where a lot of people will cut out carbohydrates because they feel like they're the ones that make them put on weight. And that's not true at all. They're often just the macronutrient that people particularly might overeat in because carbohydrates are generally pretty delicious. So if you don't understand what your energy requirements are, you could potentially eat larger serves of maybe your more starchier carbohydrates than what your energy requirements are. And if you're overeating in your calorie surplus, you are going to eventually store more weight. So some people find it actually easier to remove that whole category of food because then they're not overeating on it because they've completely restricted themselves from it. And then they find that they get those weight loss results. Will their body function optimally? Probably not because the primary source of fuel for your brain, my friends, is carbohydrates. We need them to function. So they, they are really, really important. And a lot of the times that the, the keto diet became really, really popular because it did give people quick results in terms of they would weigh themselves and they'd go on keto and like seven days later, the scale would drop dramatically. A lot of that has to do with not just, it's not technically going to be body fat loss, but it would be water because carbohydrates make you hold on to a little bit more water. Now, it should be said that the keto diet was actually originally trialed, I think it was the 1950s, to help prevent seizures in people that had epilepsy. They found that changing out those macronutrients actually helped reduce people's seizures. So that's where it sort of was developed from. And then obviously, based on what I've just sort of explained to you there, when you remove a total macronutrient, sometimes you will effectively reduce your total caloric intake over the day. And that way you end up in a calorie deficit. The same thing can be said if you remove fats. Okay. So sometimes people might overeat on fats or not necessarily know that the foods they're eating are quite dense in fats. 
and then they might overeat on them, right? For example, and I've got a slide on this on my Instagram about making smashed avocado at home versus having smashed avocado out. Now, while a lot of the elements that make up smashed avocado are definitely great when they're in their correct suggested serving sizes for you and what your body requires, and remember that is different for every single person, a lot of the times that what we might find on a um, – a restaurant or a cafe, smashed avocado will be, you know, two pieces of quite large sourdough, probably with butter. You've got your maybe a whole avocado, maybe a little bit more, some feta or some goat's cheese, and it's often paired with some eggs, potentially like buttered mushrooms, uh, spinach, maybe some smoked salmon or even a side of halloumi. And sometimes people are like, oh, well, and maybe I'll get a hash brown as well. So that particular breakfast could contain more calories, definitely more nutrients than what I'm about to suggest. So we're not comparing it nutrient quality-wise, but in terms of calories, it can contain more calories than, for example, your like KFC Zinger box or a large like McDonald's meal. So when we're looking at it for calorie for calorie, that's quite a lot of energy, more than probably what most people would actually need. Now, of course, all of those foods and elements on their own have really great nutrient profiles, but does one need to consume, you know, potentially like 700 to 1000 calories for breakfast? Most of us do not. So then comparing that to making something at home, which can still be really macro and nutrient balanced. The option that I give on the Insta slide is, you know, having it on an English muffin with your two poached eggs, a quarter of an avocado, and then maybe choosing between having like, whether it be goat's cheese or feta or regular cheese, whatever you like. And all of a sudden you've come up with a much more macro friendly meal. It's still the foods that you enjoy, but you're just having it in a more balanced way, depending on what you're trying to achieve. And that is always what I am trying to get with my clients is teaching them about their own energy requirements and then giving them options so that they learn how to flexibly eat because life is going to happen and it's so much better to learn what your body actually needs because that will create the behavioral and lifestyle changes that you need for long-term fat loss. So this is where it can get a little bit, when we're focusing just on like, I need to lose weight, I need to lose weight, often we resort to those drastic measures. And then if that's your only focus, chances are you're cutting out things that you don't necessarily want to cut out forever. Drinking can be another one, right? It's not a macronutrient. Normally, I believe it's it's carbohydrates, but it's often people go, look, I'm not drinking because I'm having too much wine or I'm going out too often. I'm just going to change that. Now, when we remove that element from someone's lifestyle, then all of a sudden they feel better. They tend to move more. They may make better diet choices depending on the reason they were choosing to potentially drink. Often if it's stress related and they're not really addressing, again, the behavioral change, people may replace the wine with food. And all of a sudden they're still increasing their calorie intake. They've just sort of changed one vice for another. So it's it's really important to understand why. But if your sole focus is on fat loss, say you cut out alcohol, you cut out sugar and you cut out carbohydrates, you end up in the best shape of your life. But then you slowly start to reintroduce those things and you don't have any idea on how much energy those things have. And you may end up exactly where you started, if not further away, and very, very frustrated. So that's the thing. We have to be really careful at what we're focusing on because we can really bugger things up a little bit because sometimes extreme dieting or say excessive exercise can also disrupt your hormonal balance, potentially leading to issues that can affect not just metabolism, but mood, your periods, your overall health. So you want to make sure that whatever you approach or taking somebody that's focusing, say, for example, solely on fat loss. And this happens to a lot of girls, particularly in their formative teenage years, potentially into their 20s, where it's just how much they weigh and what their body looks like. They're not necessarily concerned about what method they're using to get to that particular point. A lot of girls can lose their period when their body fat percentage goes too low. And while that's not a problem for them at that particular point, 
it can become a real issue when they do decide to have kids. And if they're not understanding or they haven't got the right knowledge, increasing the calorie intake or potentially putting on weight can psychologically be very, very difficult. Likewise, if you potentially quite overweight, you can change your hormones as well. The endocrine system doesn't function as so. You can also lose your period in the opposite direction as well. So it comes down to really making sure that fat loss and the approach that you take is going to be not only healthy for you mentally, but also physically. So what we want to focus on is that behavioral change. It is crucial for long-term success. It addresses any underlying habits or attitudes and lifestyle choices that maybe influence your relationship with food. I talk about having a healthy relationship with food all the time with my clients. And this usually pops up in like the first couple of weeks of the program in that it's very common for us to label foods as good and bad. And I speak about this a lot, whether it be on my Insta or in my my course content. We've been designed as a society to label everything. Everything has a label and popping categories into good and bad. Now that could come from, you know, our parents, maybe well-meaning again, wanting to make sure that we understand the difference between different foods or how frequently or often we should have something. But When we say our main aim would be fat loss and we take these extreme approaches and we restrict from things, we're like, oh, that's bad. I won't allow myself to have that. Then when we engage in the behavior of having it, we actually feel like we've done the wrong thing and that can make us feel bad about ourselves. And we're not bad people for engaging in that, but we can feel that way because we haven't had the right building blocks to build a very good relationship with food. And this can also extend to exercise as well, because when somebody decides to exercise, not because it is good for their physical health or their mental health, but because it is solely based around fat loss or weight loss, as they might be thinking, that's what it is. It can lead to some very compulsive behaviors or feeling like they have urges to over-exercise and under-eat in order to get to this particular point. Now, I am a huge advocate for rest days. There is a planned rest day within my program. There's also a planned yoga day because some days we just need to want to move the body mindfully. Sometimes it can be helpful to have the same time slot allotted for movement. I tend to move my body in one way every single day. Now that can be with a walk, it can be yoga, it can be Pilates, but I always make sure that I'm getting in like those three strength training sessions. And I usually only do like one sort of like cardio-based session per week. That's just the way that it, it that it sort of works. So you really want to focus, instead of focusing on, okay, I need to lose weight for X event to fit into a dress because I saw a photo that I didn't like, start shifting your mindset to, I want to focus on living a healthier life day to day. It actually takes the pressure off and you want to try and string as many days together being living in that healthy behavioral pattern rather than putting extreme amounts of pressure on yourself to lose a certain amount of weight by a certain date. Because one, if you don't achieve it, you're going to feel really disappointed in yourself. Two, if you feel like you've colored outside of the lines on a day, you're not going to feel great about your choice. So shifting that sort of mindset to, I want to try and live healthier every single day, and then creating small actionable steps in a way for you to do that, create small behavioral changes. So rather than relying on the short-term restrictive diets or intense workouts, you're now focusing on just, okay, in 12 months, I just want to live healthier because I want to feel different. Sustainable habits are more likely to be maintained over time when they're introduced slowly and we stack them. For example, you know, having a glass of water before you maybe have coffee in the morning, right? That's going to be a lot better for your body than just going, oh, straight coffee. It's going to suppress my appetite and I'm not going to eat breakfast. I'm just going to go straight to lunch. A lot of people don't feel hungry at breakfast. 
that is a topic for another time. I'm not going to touch on that here because I'll end up like completely like going in an opposite direction. So when you are trying to change your behaviors and integrating healthier choices into your daily life, you want to try and do things that are going to feel as natural as possible, like on the, the, the outset. Okay. So maybe not going, okay, I'm going to join F45 and I haven't exercised in five years because that's the way I'm going to do it. Maybe just say, okay, I'm going to allocate 30 minutes a day to walking something that is very, very achievable. And when you get to that 30 minutes a day, when you're starting to feel really comfortable and confident that maybe you go, okay, I'm going to book myself into one F45 class. I'm going to make sure that it's the strength-based class, not the cardio class, because we want to facilitate that muscle growth, of course. But also, not that cardio is not good for you. It definitely has benefits for your cardiovascular system. It's just not always the most enjoyable or the most effective for what most people are trying to achieve. So you just want to integrate these things in really, really slowly. Then behavioral change when it comes to food often involves cultivating mindfulness around eating. Now, this means paying attention to hunger and fullness cues, something that we don't necessarily do as adults. Now, if you have a small child, you might have noticed this when they're really little and they haven't sort of expanded their palate to the world of like, you know, use discretionary and sometimes foods. They will typically tell you when they have had enough food. And because we want to make sure that they've got nutrient dense, beautiful food in front of them, often their plates are filled with like vegetables and proteins and things like that. They'll tell you, I don't want any more. Like they will push the plate away and they will say, I've definitely had enough. Eventually they'll get to the age where they're going to try and test you and they're only going to eat certain things. They become very, very fussy. But as we grow up into adults, and we have more choice over our decisions, we know that at any time we can choose whatever foods that we like. And often sometimes those foods may be delicious carbohydrates. But because we're not taught how much carbohydrate we need, depending on what we're trying to achieve or as per our growing bodies or even as we're older adults, we're not taught that. We will just eat until we feel like it. We'll just eat until like, that's so delicious. I'm going to keep eating. I'm going to keep eating without registering do I actually need this quantity of food? Quite often we don't, but we then just think, okay, well, that's fine. You know, oh, I just, I won't eat the next meal. We, we start to try, we start to have these really disordered balances when it comes to, to food because we're not necessarily eating because we're hungry. We're not necessarily eating for nutrient health. We're eating foods that we just enjoy eating because we like eating. Right. And when we do that without being mindful of what our body actually needs versus what we want, then occasionally we end up overeating. We do that often enough over a long period of time. And then we throw in all the life stuff and all the emotional stuff on top. And sometimes we actually lose the connection with what we actually should be fueling our bodies with. Now, I say this a lot is that food is mostly mostly fuel. There are other times where food is more than that. It is joy, it is connection. But for the most part, it should be fuel, but we often disconnect from that. And we think that every meal, especially we're very fortunate in the country that we're in, we have access to quite a lot of food and lots of non-perishable, very highly palatable foods. And they're marketed to us very, very cleverly. So we don't necessarily know that certain foods might not be as uh, macro balanced as what we need them to be. 
But hey, this tells me that it's got added iron and added protein, so it must be good for me because we don't really have that education. And then we may overeat because food labels can be really, really deceiving. And when we look at something, we don't realize that it is actually four serves. We eat the whole thing because it looks like a small serve and it should only be one based on the volume of food we feel like we need. And then all of a sudden we've consumed four times what the recommended serving size was and we may have consumed more calories than than what we need. So when we approach things, I always like to make sure that I'm taking a mindful eating approach and really paying attention to genuine hunger and genuine fullness cues, making conscious food choices. Okay. So really thinking about, is this a context where my food is or should be primarily fuel? Yes. Food that is fuel can still be tasty. A lot of people think, oh no, they're just chicken and vegetables. Absolutely not. If you've seen any of my recipes on Instagram, especially the broccoli salad, blows my mind all the time. I just reposted that this week. It is such a win and it is a broccoli salad. All my clients rave about this and it is one, enjoyable, but two, it's absolute premium fuel. You've got some healthy fats in there. You've got some beautiful cruciferous vegetables. They're going to help keep you full for a really long time. They're going to make you like thrive from the inside out because they're really good for your gut microbiome. It's a beautiful combination of food, but a lot of the time we think, oh, you know, because we've labeled food good and bad, that we only think the bad food is tasty. But all food can be really, really tasty and there isn't such thing as a bad food. There's just everyday food and sometimes food. So when we are starting to create these changes in our behavior, we want to try and create a like positive feedback loop. When we do that, it creates a really nice self-reinforcing cycle. This can work both ways. A lot of the times we have conditioned a negative feedback loop. Think about if you ate a biscuit, whether it be, you know, Tim Tam or whatever it is, you have one and you're having a bit of a bad day and you're like, you know what? I deserve another biscuit. I've had a bad day. And then you feel a bit crap about having the biscuit because you're supposed to be on this like fat loss diet that does tells you you're not supposed to have biscuits and all you've been thinking about is a biscuit and you're feeling really low energy and then you're like, oh, stuff it. I've ruined it. So I'm just going to eat more biscuits. And then half a packet of the biscuits is gone and you're like, oh, I can never do this. I've got no willpower. That is a negative feedback loop. So when you are trying to change your lifestyle changes, when you start really, really small because your focus is not on fat loss, it's on health and wellness, you can look at your day as a whole and go, you know what? Like 90% of my day has been really, really balanced, beautiful whole foods. I'm going to have a biscuit. I really feel like a biscuit. The context is right. I'm just going to have a biscuit. You'll probably stop at one. When you stop at one and you're like, hey, actually do have willpower. That felt really good. Then all of a sudden you've got this like positive feedback loop. You've shown yourself that you can do it and you start adopting more and more of these behaviors. Same thing can happen when you start to maybe move a little bit more, right? You notice that it improves your mood and your energy levels. At the start, you know, I don't want to get up for my 6.30 workout. I don't want to do it. But then you realize how good it's starting to make you feel. And then all of a sudden you're like, yes, I like that feeling. I like that feeling. I like the changes that are happening. The workouts are no longer that hard that I feel like I'm too sore. And you start creating these habits where you're just stepping towards that goal every single day. And then my friend, then instead of focusing on I'm the person that's on a diet and you're focusing on your health, you begin to shift your identity. Okay. So instead of thinking, oh, I'm somebody that can't do this. I've got no willpower. I'm you're labeling yourself as, you know, overweight or whatever it is. You have a shift in identity in where I am trying to be healthy. I am healthy. And then you start making healthier choices. You start to see yourself differently. Now, a lot of the times, and this has happened to me 
men, like many years, everyone's always just, oh, Lindsay, you're really, really healthy. You're really, really healthy. I definitely was not healthy in my 20s. Definitely was not. Had some very, very bad behavior patterns around food. But a lot of people thought that oh, I just wanted to focus on my health. I was focusing on fat loss. But at the time, it was just weight loss because I didn't know the difference between the two. So my main goal was to make sure that I was as small as possible and weighed under 50 kilos. That that was the, the goal weight. When I got there, I was so miserable and I had those big bags under my eyes and I looked so gaunt. My skin was like so dull and gray. My hair was really, really thin. Not to mention, it wasn't just thin because I didn't know how to eat nutritionally well for myself. It was because I had lots and lots of hair extensions because I just didn't like who I was. I just had to create this whole new persona. But then when I got to that goal weight, I was like, well, what happens next? I just started focusing on something else. I shifted it because my focus wasn't on being healthy and wasn't focusing on being fit. My focus was on making sure that I was as small as humanly possible and that the number, surely that was going to make me happy and it made me miserable. And that was a real mind mess when I got there. So that's the the big shift that you want to make is that don't think that you're going to be happy when you get to a specific number because that doesn't necessarily equate to how you think you're going to look. There are amazing examples of this on Instagram. In particular, one of them is a girl called Chrissy Chella where she shows that when she is weighing, I think it might have even been 49 kilos, to be honest, from memory. It's quite, it's quite low. She shows her body physique shape when she was 49 kilos and then she shows herself at 62 or 64 and at that heavier weight, because she's actually, she's got a leaner body fat percentage, but more muscle mass, she looks incredible. She also feels incredible. It, based on looks alone, she looks much better with the more muscle mass, but she talks about how she feels and how strong she felt, how resilient she was. And it was the process that she took to get there rather than what she was doing to her body beforehand. So there are plenty of different examples that, that you can go through. But when you decide to change your behaviors, you're contributing to your emotional resilience because you're providing healthier coping mechanisms for stress and emotional challenges. One of the biggest things that can lead to having a calorie surplus or overeating is because of stress and emotions. And it's really difficult to cope with what's going on in our daily lives. So we look for maybe a distraction by turning to food or wine. And when you have a different view of yourself because you've had a shift in identity and instead of focusing on, well, my main main aim is to lose weight. So you restrict, 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 and then you allow yourself to go out and throw caution to the wind and you eat more food than you've eaten in ages and you drink more than you've had in ages. You feel horrible about it the next day. But when you have a healthier relationship with food and you believe that you're just taking steps every day to be healthy, you're more likely to moderate how you do things because that is just how you know you are as a person. And when you prove that to yourself, more than once and you're exercising mindful eating and you're hunger like you're regulating your hunger cues you're moving your body because it makes you feel good rather than for making what it looks like you change you have an improved body image okay so this is where it is a huge mindset shift i spend so much time with my clients on this because my friends we have been conditioned and ingrained for so many years to process that we need to change ourselves it's all down to marketing Okay, we they want you to buy more stuff. So when you are trying to shift how you're feeling about 
what you're trying to do. Shift it towards a health focus, okay? And that's why one of the taglines I've always used is focus on how it feels. That's a very yoga thing to say because in yoga, what they do is they always encourage you to move like you. You're not supposed to look like your instructor. You're not supposed to look like the person on the mat next to you. You're supposed to move how you feel. And with a slow and consistent practice, you will change how that looks and you'll start achieving different things with your body. They're not body composition changes. They may be flexibility changes, mobility changes, you know, and some days they're going to be better than others. But yoga teaches you to detach from a lot of that, that physical stuff. And that's why I find it such an important practice to include within my program. And it's also one of the reasons why people find yoga so incredibly difficult. But believe it or not, my friend, that is not what I'm going to say is one of the most underrated exercises for your health, mental and physical health. My friends, it is walking. Yes, my friend, walking. I feel like a lot of people thought that I would say yoga, maybe some sort of strength and resistance training, probably definitely not high intensity interval training or cardio uh, because most people that follow me know that I'm not, I like when people include cardio for the reason that it's good for their cardiovascular health or maybe that they enjoy it. But when their aim is to change their body composition, doing too much cardio might slow your progress down. It could be a detriment to your results. There is a better method if your aim is to change your body composition, especially when you are focusing on your health, you're probably going to get better benefits from doing strength and resistance training. And my friend, walking. Okay. Walking has so many benefits, not only for your physical health, but also your mental health because walking, especially in natural environments has been shown to reduce your stress levels. Now we live in a very buzzy instant society. It's always go, 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 but the rhythmic motion and the connection with nature can actually have a really calming effect to help lower your cortisol levels, which are associated with stress. Now, when you do something like a high intensity interval workout, and if your body's already under stress, you're creating a more stressful environment for the body. And then if you don't know how to refuel, sometimes that can also be stressful for the body. And a lot of people that have elevated cortisol levels sometimes will store weight around the middle section a little bit more predominantly in women that happens. So looking at the type of exercise that you do and based on what your lifestyle is like or what your job, your work-life balance is like is really important when matching up what types of exercise might actually be better for you. I am often encouraging clients to reduce the amount of high intensity exercise that they're doing and increase their strength and resistance training. And if they do lead a particularly stressful life, I would usually recommend something that is a little bit more low impact, obviously walking, but more yoga and Pilates in terms of trying to build some strength and resistance through the muscles, because those types of exercise are less impactful less stimulating, say for like potentially your stress levels and cortisol levels, depending on the type of Pilates that you're doing, of course. So another thing that happens when you do a lot of walking is that you can have improved mood and reduced anxiety. So when we do physical activity, like walking, it can trigger the release of endorphins. A lot of exercise will do this. And these are our feel-good hormones. These chemicals interact with receptors in the brain, reducing the perception of pain and they trigger positive feelings. So Regular walking can contribute to a more positive mood. And it's also, like I said, been linked to a reduction in anxiety symptoms. So the combination of physical activity, fresh air, the change of scenery, and maybe getting out of an environment that they're finding a little bit overwhelming can make a really big change and break the cycle of anxious thoughts. That's why if somebody has, because my clients, I'll always recommend to them, can they walk for at least 30 minutes a day if they can, depending on you know their, their own circumstances. If they work full-time, Often using your lunch break and popping on your runners and getting outside is so good for your mental state. You're removing yourself from an environment that can potentially be really stressful. It can also 
not feel great to be stuck in like four walls if you're in an office environment say you want to step away from what you're doing to give yourself a mental break but you're also doing something that's good for your physical health you'll end up with increased energy levels so when you've got more energy levels you might actually find that maybe you have more energy to do your strength and resistance training but you want to start really really small so engaging in regular like activity for like even in the form of a brisk walk can just boost your energy levels it will also most likely help you get a better sleep. Getting an adequate amount of sleep is crucial, not just for our mental health, but also for our physical health. If you get better sleep, you're more likely to make more positive food choices the following day. If you make more positive food choices the following day and then you're getting your walk in, you're starting to build a really nice cycle of your behavioral change. Another way that walking can be really good is if you do it with a friend. One, it means that you're committing to the movement and you're also getting some social interaction. So it provides an opportunity to connect with others and that's obviously going to be good for our mental health. And then also you're doing something for your physical health at the same time. So sometimes maybe swapping that brekkie date with your smashed avocado could actually be hey, do you want to go for a nice big walk and come to my house for breakfast? That way there's no time limit on it. It's definitely cheaper. It's low impact. And you are investing in your mental and physical and social health all at once while saving money. I don't know if there is a bigger win-win-win there. You also might find that as a byproduct of all of these positive behavioral changes that you might just change your body composition and you've enjoyed the process. It's become a part of who you are. So if you are thinking about embarking on a journey, a health journey, try shifting your thought process so that you stop making it about fat loss as your focus and start making it as overall health and see if you can create those long-term sustainable changes. That is what I'm all about when I'm working with my clients one-to-one. I also, because I work with them every single day, we can work through mental blocks together. It's not easy to create long-term behavior change. And I'm often reminding my clients of this is that we've been conditioned over a number of years to adopt these certain behaviors. So it's going to take us a little while to learn how to do things differently, but we can do it in those small incremental changes. Hopefully you found this one useful, my friend. And if you are starting your journey, get walking, start adopting some small behavioral changes each and every day, ones that you know that you can do consistently and start watching the changes in how you feel. So focus on how it feels this week, my friends, not on how it looks. And if you've got any questions, you know exactly where to find me. And I look forward to bringing you another episode of Once You Know, You Know next week. And it's going to be our first ever interview of an amazing, strong-minded, strong-willed businesswoman who's been on her own health journey that I just know is going to inspire you on your own journey as well. All right, team, until next time. 